Good morning. It must be spring. I hear all the sneezing and coughing. Wow. What what a beautiful, beautiful, um, beautiful weekend. And uh, it's, it's a fantastic, it's a great time to live in Kentucky. And I tell you what, I just sitting here this morning and listening to the songs and listening to prayers and sitting up here and looking at the congregation this morning, it just fills my heart with joy to be able to stand here each Sunday and share the good news of Jesus. Isn't the good news of Jesus good? It's wonderful. This morning, we're going to wrap up this sermon series on being a neighbor. And I want you to help me before I read the scripture, okay? I want you to take out your program guide. And there's a question I want you to answer. You can answer it now or you can answer it over the course of the sermon. But I want you to answer the question. So it says, my neighbor is, okay? I don't know who your neighbor is. Don't know. You know. We've been defining neighbor as anyone who has need. It could be someone who is hurting. It could be uh, someone who's on your path. It could be a stranger. It could be someone who is scary or an enemy. It could be a family member. Your neighbor can be anyone. I can't answer the question for you, but I want you to write in the blank sometime this morning the answer to the question, my neighbor is, and I want you to fill in the blank. Because at the end of the message today, I'm going to ask you to do something for your neighbor, and I want you to make a commitment today, this week, to do something behalf of the neighbor that you've written down here in the blank. Well, the neighbor, the neighbor that I wrote in the blank this morning is, is my neighbor, my neighbor is a skeptic, a skeptic. Now, I don't use that term uh, lightly. I don't use that term in a derogatory way. Uh, I use it actually in a way to describe uh, people who have some reservations or some skepticism or some well-deserved criticism for Christianity and for religion in general. I don't have to document the statistics, but the number of people in our world who are discouraged and disgusted and disappointed with religion itself is a growing, it's a growing number of people. Uh, they look at the way that Christians treat one another. They look at the way different religions interact with one another. And they look at the pain and the suffering in the world and they say, where, where is, if God is good, you know, where is God and all of that? And then, then they look at us and they say, I don't see any big difference in the way that Christian people live their life and the way I live my life. They look just as dysfunctional, you know, as I am. So today I hope to be able to share a little bit about how I'm going to and how I think we can share our faith with our neighbor. And so I chose this passage today, which is a really interesting story, and it's about the Samaritan woman who is at the well, and Jesus has this exchange with her about water. And when I looked at the woman from this point of view, I saw her as being somewhat skeptical of Jesus, because she was a Samaritan, 
Samaritans didn't like Jews. Jews didn't like Samaritans. She was an outcast in some way. We're not sure why. She'd been married multiple times, and there was some pain in her life. And she was a woman, and so when she encounters Jesus, Jesus talks with her, and she says, why are you talking to me? You're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan, I'm a woman. And then later on, I'm not going to read this in the story, actually what happens in the story, interesting enough, is she tries to engage him sort of in a debate about where the true place of worship is and wants to know his opinion on that. And Jesus just doesn't want to debate her. This is another thing that's really interesting about this. Jesus tells a parable. You remember the parable of the Good Samaritan we've been talking about all this, this last month? Well, here's an example where we see Jesus actually doing what he's talking about. It's really powerful. You know, you really want to have an impact on the world? Let your words match your actions. And we see Jesus demonstrating the things that he actually taught. Only this time, it's not the Samaritan that's doing the good thing. It's Jesus doing the good thing for a Samaritan. And you go in and read the disciples, they just never get it. The, the disciples are just blockheads. They're just like, what? What's going on here? They're freaked out by the whole thing. And we just have to keep learning, listening, learning. So here's the story. It says Jesus had to go through Samaria on his way to Galilee. Eventually he came to a Samaritan village, the village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Um, Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for the Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, You're a Jew. And I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? And Jesus replied, If you only knew the gift of God, the gift that God has for you, and who was speaking to you, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. Then there's this exchange about how they're going to get the water, and is the water that you're offering better than the water of Jacob and our ancestors? So Jesus then answers her and says, Anyone who drinks this water from this well is soon going to become thirsty again. But those who drink water I give will never be thirsty again. Then he just shares the gospel. This is, this is the gospel. And when, you have, when you have God's grace and love in your life, it's, it's something that comes from the inside of you. That's the difference between religions about do's and don'ts. It's, it's external. This is an internal thing. When you have God inside, it becomes this fresh, bubbling spring within us that gives eternal life. That's what he's offering, offering her. The word of God for the people of God. Amen. Okay, heard a great story. It's an ancient story told in many different ways about a, a, a very wealthy Jewish man and his synagogue. This, this wealthy man was a very religious and very devout man, and he went to the synagogue for synagogue service every week. But as often happens during the homily, and often happens during the sermon, sometimes he would doze off and fall asleep. So as the rabbi is giving the message on this one particular Sabbath, 
the rich man falls asleep. He doesn't hear the whole scripture reading. The rabbi's reading from Leviticus. And in this passage, it says that the priest should make bread and should take bread and put it on a table, a special table in the temple as an offering unto God. Now, the rich man is dozing off and on during the message, but he does hear these words. He hears bread, temple, bread, temple. And he wakes up and he thinks, I've been searching for what God wants me to do with my life. I know the answer. God wants bread in his temple. I will go home. I will make God some bread, and I will bring it to his temple and offer it up to God. So the rich man rushed home and baked up 12 loaves of bread, took it to the synagogue. What do I do with it? So he goes up to the ark. And the ark is the box where they keep the scrolls of the Torah, big scrolls, parchment with the Holy Scriptures written on them. They would roll out and kept in an ark. And so he takes the bread, the 12 loaves of bread, and stuffs it into the ark. He goes home. Meanwhile, there's another man, another man who was responsible for the upkeep and the cleaning of the synagogue. He's going through a very difficult time in his life. Some unfortunate circumstances. His wife is ill, he has several children, and he can't earn enough money to provide food and medical care for his ailing wife. He's desperate. God, what will I do? How will I take care of my family? I can't put bread on the table for my kids. And as he's cleaning the synagogue, he smells walks up to the ark and opens the ark and finds it's been stuffed with 12 loaves of bread. God, thank you for answering my prayers. Meanwhile, remember the rich man? He's back at home and he's thinking about what he just did. He goes, I'm an idiot. God doesn't need bread. God's the creator of the universe. And I just stuffed 12 loaves of bread into the ark of the, the, the synagogue. I must go back and remove it before anybody finds out the crazy thing I've done. He rushes back to the synagogue. He opens up the ark, and it's gone. God did need my bread. Next time, God, raisins. So he goes home. The next week goes by, he makes bread with raisins. The next week, the cleaner comes by and gets the bread. The rich man's making bread for God. God's answering the poor man's prayer. And this goes on for some time, for a long time, until the new rabbi arrives and wrecks everything. New rabbi comes and makes the discovery of the bread and the whole circumstance, and he brought the two men together in the synagogue to explain to them what has happened. He says, do you understand? Every week you've been putting bread in the ark. Every week you've been taking bread from the ark. Both men were crestfallen. The rich man said, I thought God needed my bread. And the poor man said, but I thought that God was answering my prayers. Then the rabbi says, no, 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 you don't understand. I want you to see how God answers prayers. He said to the rich man, God needed bread to feed the poor man. 
And so you, he used you to make the bread for the poor man. And he says to the poor man, God used the rich man to answer your prayers. Then in a beautiful moment, the rabbi grabs the hands of the rich man and holds him up and he says, see these hands? These hands are the hands of God. Let me ask you a question. In your own life, has there ever been a moment when someone has answered your prayer? A moment when you've been desperate, hurting, lonely, or lost. And just at the right moment, God sent someone to use their hands. The question I would ask you now in regard to your neighbor is what are you going to do? What are you going to do with your hands? Look at your hands. Look at them right now. I want you to look at them. Turn them back and forth. You know what those hands are? What are they? The hands of God. They're God's hands. So maybe what you need to do today is maybe today you need to take those hands and you need to go down to AutoZone and buy some jumper cables and put them in the trunk of your car so that when someone has a dead bride, you can be a good neighbor and use your hands. Or maybe today when you're at the grocery store and you're buying groceries for your family and you see an older woman struggling with the cart, you need to follow her and use your hands to pick the bags up and put them in the trunk of her cart and take the cart and push it back to the little station. Or maybe you need to go down to Subway after worship today, use your hands, walk inside Subway, and buy, buy 10 Subway gift cards so that when you see someone who's homeless, you can buy them a sandwich and give them a gift card. Maybe you need to use your hands today to pick up the telephone and call the single mom that you know that's got two kids who's going crazy, has no time for herself, and said, hey, you know what, on Friday night, my husband, I love to watch your kids so you can go out and have some fun with your friends. Maybe you need to use your hands to volunteer at some local school to pick up a little school book to read to some kids. Maybe you need to use your hands this week down at Brewster Street at the Fuller House to help lay some tile for the new family that's going to be moving in. Maybe you need to use your hands to go down to Panera Bread and buy some bagels and some cream cheese. And when your friend is having surgery this week, you can go down there and when the family's in the waiting room waiting anxiously for the surgery to be complete, God can use your hands to put a little cream cheese on a bagel. How does God want to use your hands? Let me tell you, I've been talking about what it means to be a skeptic in the world. And let me tell you, uh, there are three reasons people are skeptical. They're skeptical, as I mentioned earlier, because why is there evil in the world? And they wonder, they wonder, they go, how can there be a God when children are gassed with sarin gas? And they say, how can God be real when we see religious violence, religious people committing acts of violence against one another? Today, in fact, Palm Sunday, a Coptic Christian church was terrorized and people lost. So how can there be religion bring, and then how can it be that there is so much I look at people's lives who are Christians, and they don't look any different from me. They look just as dysfunctional as I am. How can that be? Let me tell you, the best way to share your faith with a skeptic 
is to use God's hands. Let me tell you a story. So last Thursday night, there was a really remarkable thing that took place here. And uh, I want to show you uh, how we be a good neighbor to a skeptic. Here's a photograph I want to show you. I want to point out who the people are up on, on the stage. Standing right here on the altar last Thursday night were three uh, individuals whose families were resettled here from, from a foreign country. The man in the red shirt uh, was from Bosnia. He lost two legs in the war, came here to the United States as a refugee, and got two new legs, two prostheses at University Hospital. Sitting next to him is a young woman by the name of Amani, and Amani has, a, has the microphone. She is a Syrian family that our church helped resettle within the last last few months. The one on the other end is a woman from Iraq who had to come to the United States because her and her husband cooperated with the United States forces and they could no longer live where they were. The subject of the story is the one in the middle, Amani. Amani has a family of 10. She is married and has a little boy herself. And uh, they were living in Syria. And you see what's happening in Syria today. Violence, bloodshed, terror, fear, destruction. Her home was destroyed. They had to leave suddenly with only the things that they could carry and flee to Egypt where they stayed a very, very, very long time. Filled with fear and animosity. I mean, fear and scared and just all kinds of unimaginable horrors. Very well-educated family. She has a degree from the University of Damascus. Amani then, her and her family were allowed to come to the United States. She gets off the airplane. They're scared. They're fearful. And who is the first kind face they see? Women from our church. A handful of women from our church with their hands being the hands of God. Those hands, those hands uh, filled three apartments full of furniture. Those hands, those hands of God stocked their pantries with food. Those hands prepared a meal. Those hands drove them back and forth and got their kids enrolled in school. Those hands helped them adjust to their new life here. It was really powerful to hear Amani, who is a Muslim, stand here on this altar where I proclaim the gospel, say to a full church, those women with their hands were God's angels. Now I want you to think how unusual this is. Amani had never, ever been in a church before. She had never been in a church built on the foundation of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And I thought, what a way to introduce her so beautifully to the faith of Jesus Christ than first to have been introduced to it by people who are using their hands and not really talking about their faith. And for her to be able to stand here in an altar at a table, a table that is welcome for all people. And I thought to myself, what a great way to represent Jesus to the world. And I was so touched when she said these words. My family now is safe, and my children have a future. So where's God in the world with all the sufferings going on? Well, God's at work in the world bringing refugees from Syria to the United States and setting them up in apartments and giving them food. Where is God in the world when Christians and religious people are at war with one another? Wherever you see Muslim Christians and people from around the world gathered together at an altar, dedicated to Jesus, 
That seems like Jesus would really be happy with that to me. That's a great word for the world. Where is Jesus when we look at people and say, those people are just as messed up as anybody. I mean, that woman with the, the, the blonde hair up there, Jane Parker, she is very dysfunctional. But you know what? <laughs> I love you, Jane. But you know, she said this. She said, you know what? My life is great. Why is my life great, she said? Because they, it's, she's helped settle 10 refugee families with our church. My life has been enriched by their stories, by their life, and by their faith. That's the answer to the skeptic. Thank you, Jane. And it gets better. It gets better. So a new Syrian family came to the United States within the last couple of weeks. And let me tell you who helped settle this Syrian family. Well, that same group of women from our church. But this time, there was another couple helping. Um, a young couple who are homeless or living in their car. Homelessness is not an identity. It's a circumstance. And they've been coming to worship here and building friendships here, and it's been beneficial for us to get to know them and for them to get to know us. Uh, they're getting back on their feet. He has a job now. But when it came time to load the moving truck with all the furniture for the new family, here is a person without a home who's an expert in packing moving trucks because he worked for a moving company, spending a whole evening with his girlfriend loading the truck, then the whole next day at the apartment getting them ready. Oh, and guess what? When the new family arrived, Amani, the Muslim woman, prepared the meal. Look what God can do. Look how God can form a community with a couple without a place to live, take a, a couple of really dysfunctional women from our church, <laughs> handful of women from our church, and a Muslim woman to save someone from terror in our world. That's what this is about. Reconciliation. You see, we live in a world of karma. All the world's religions are, and secularism all based on karma. You know what karma is? Karma is you, you get what you deserve. You get good things, you deserved it. You, you get bad things, you deserved it. What goes around comes around. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. That's karma. Christianity's karma. Islam is karma. Judaism is karma. That's what the world lives on. It's, it's what all the misery in the world is all about. But let me tell you something. Something happened in Jesus that broke the curse of karma. It's called grace. It's called grace. It's called unconditional love and forgiveness that came in the person of Jesus Christ who reached out to anyone and to everyone who said, it's not what you do, it's who I am, that wants to break the chain on your back, set you free from dogma and religion and eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And that karma killed Jesus 
But the God of grace rolled back that stone and got grace up out of the grave, and he's still infecting people all over the world with his grace. You see, in Hebrews 12, 15, it says, see that no one on this earth misses the grace of God. We see it in Jesus, and we demonstrate that grace with how we use our hands. we got to stop talking to skeptics and start showing skeptics. We've got to stop giving answers to skeptics when we don't know what their question is. Jesus is the answer. Well, what's the question that they're asking? I don't know. You've got to let them tell you. We need to listen to the skeptics because sometimes God uses skeptics to point out to us the error of our ways. Peter Rollins is a way out there... Uh, way out there Irish theologian on the edge of the universe of Christianity. He says that we ought to give up God for Lent and read atheism so that we can use it as a corrective to our handless faith. To get ourselves out of our head and get into our hearts and embrace grace. I'm not saying we're going to do that next Lent, but (laughs) good idea. Good idea. So the disciples, they see this whole thing going on. You know, here's Jesus. I mean, Jesus is just embodying all this. He's crossing boundaries. He's reaching this woman. He won't argue with the woman. He addresses her deeper need. He's demonstrating all of this in the way that he lived. I mean, he just opened himself to anyone and everything. And the disciples have seen all this. Yet they go, what are you doing, man? Hanging out with this woman. People are going to talk about you. You shouldn't be with her. A little bit later on, they get in. Man, Jesus, these Samaritan people are bad. Would you like call down fire and burn them all up? We're just so slow to get it. It's something we have to continue to learn again and again and again and again and again. To just keep opening and opening and opening and opening up our hands in our hearts in a world of karma to share and live that grace look at your hands what do you see look at your hands what do you see look at your hands what do you see I'm waiting for an answer look at your hands what do you see look at your hands what do you see look at your hands what do you see see? 